Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Awesome. Well, it's good to be here. I hope you're excited to be here. Uh, it's always good to gather together and worship God together and, and hear uh, God's word. And uh, if, you, if you're new with us, we're, we're actually in the middle of a series that we're calling Grown Up Faith, uh, where we've been talking a lot about maturity. Uh, one of the things that uh, the leadership of the church feels very, uh, g- very confident about is that we're in a season right now uh, where God wants to mature us as believers uh, so that we can continue to move the mission of God forward. You know, as we continue to reach more and more people and see more and more people baptized, uh, what that requires is more and more people uh, to step up and begin to lead and disciple uh, these other people. And so uh, I am excited about what God is doing in our church and excited about you guys and the potential of what God has in store for you. And I know. When anybody starts talking about growth and maturity, your first instinct is to look to your right or look to your left and think, well, yeah, that's not me. I would never be a leader in the church or I could never do that. But here's the truth of God's word. Yes, you can. And God is actually calling you uh, to grow and to mature and to become a person that can invest your life into other people. And so this whole series, what we've been looking at is what does scripture tell us and teach us about maturity? What does it look like to grow in our relationship with God. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at the correlation between God's Word, hearing God's Word, applying God's Word, and maturity, and what that looks like. And so if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 is where we'll be this morning, the parable of the sower. So I want to pray for us, and as as you turn there, I'll pray. So Father, we love you. Uh, God, we, we just worship you for who you are. Uh, Father, you're already moving, and I know that, and you're working in the hearts of people. God, there's nothing more powerful than to hear stories of transformation of what you're doing in the lives of people. So, Father, I pray, uh, God, that you would knock me out of the way right now and continue to speak to people, and, God, that we would have the courage to respond according to what you're telling us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4, here's what it says. Uh, So, it says, while a large crowd was gathering... And people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Verse 6, some fell on the rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. They had no roots. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked out the plants. Verse 8, still other seed fell on the good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop and a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. You see, Jesus taught in parables many times in the Bible, and if you weren't on the same page as Christ and, and didn't have spiritual ears to hear him, he would kind of be confusing because you really wouldn't know what he was talking about as was going on here. Verse 9, his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? Verse 10, he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see and those hearing they may not understand. That's why we continually pray that God will give us ears to hear what he wants us to hear. We need spiritual ears, not just the ears on the side of your head. Verse 11, This is the meaning of the parable. So Jesus goes on and explains it. Praise God. So he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path 
are the people who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy and when they hear it, but they do not have a root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Verse 15, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. What do they do? They hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop, they produce fruit. And so this passage is an incredible passage to think about. It's, it's very important to understand as you think about maturity. And even this passage is really kind of, can have almost two different types of meanings. On one side, this is a passage where Jesus is teaching us about true Christianity versus false Christianity. Because honestly, the only true type of, type of Christianity is the good soul Christianity. But I believe this passage can also be taught in a way that teaches us about tendencies as we grow and mature in Christ that we will have as we wrestle back and forth uh, with our sinful flesh and, and as we try to walk by the Holy Spirit. And so the sobering reality of this passage is that the issue with growth and maturity is never God, nor is it his, his word. The overwhelming issue and the problem with maturity in our lives is our human heart. And so you got to think about that, and I know that's kind of right in your face off the start, but I want you to understand God's plan for your life is for you to grow and become like Christ. He wants to use you. He wants to work in your heart and through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to show other people who he is through you. That's why he created every person in this room, to know him and to make him known. But here's the issue. As we can start to grow in our relationship with God, many of us... We've never been taught or we don't understand what it means to grow. And here's the thing I want you to understand, that the word of God and you hearing it the right way and, 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 and applying it to your life and receiving it and persevering in it and producing fruit is the pathway to maturity. There's two facts in this passage that I think are very important. The first one is that a person's response to the word of God is dependent on, upon the condition of a person's heart. So how you respond to God's word is dependent upon the condition of your heart. As Jesus pointed out, there's three types of soul, there's three types of heart conditions that are not good when it comes to God's word. And then there's one type that is good, which is the type, if we want to grow and mature, that we need to have. The second fact is that fruit is the only evidence that one has heard the word rightly. So if we want to make an accurate judgment of if our heart is right before God and we are the good soul, we must honestly assess the fruit of our lives to do that. So anytime the word of God is preached, you hear it in a certain way. And, and the reason I want to preach this text and the reason I believe it's so important to us as we look into growth is because I believe that every person in this room is in one of these four heart conditions, including myself. And I believe that's why Jesus' teaching was so powerful. Because Jesus never missed the mark. He never came out and preached a sermon and people could walk away and say, man, that was good for the person sitting next to me. 
It always cuts straight to your heart. It always cuts straight to my heart. And so this morning, I want you to open your ears. I want you to think about this. Eliminate distractions and really receive God's word into your heart and see what God would have for you this morning. So I want to talk about the three bad souls first and then we'll get to the good one. So hear it like this. The first bad soul, the first condition of our heart that is not in a good place is the seed that fell along the path, right? And so if you're familiar with farming, what you know is when you see a big field that's been cultivated by a farmer, usually there's some roads on the outside of the field. And those roads are the roads that the tractors use to get in, the trucks come in on. And what happens is over time, those roads are packed down really good until they become very hard, where if you throw a seed on them, the seed just kind of sits there because it can't get into the soil and germinate. And so that's what he's saying in verse 5. He says, some seeds fell along the path and they were trampled on and then the birds came and they ate it up. What does that mean, Jesus? His interpretation, verse 12. He says, the seeds along the path are the ones who hear. I want you to listen to that because every condition that Jesus talks about are people who believe they have heard the word of God. So nobody walks out of here saying that I haven't heard it. The problem is, is what happens from that hearing? Does it go in and just kind of out, or does it actually produce a crop and produce fruit inside? So he says, are the ones who hear, and what happens? Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved, right? Because the devil's an enemy. The last thing he wants you to do is grow in your relationship with God, give your life to Christ, be saved, and walk in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. This is someone on the path, this type of heart is someone who rejects the message because their heart is hard towards God, right? So uh, I want you to think about it like this. There's no, in this type of heart, there's really no desire to hear from God. It's more of a, either a religious heart to just kind of come in and out of church and hear the word of God. Most likely there's no interaction with the word of God outside of church uh, or it can be somebody who's really kind of been hurt by the church and they've kind of taken a different path. But when they hear the name God or Christian, uh, immediately it brings up all these wounds that they've had from the church. And so their heart has just grown hard towards God and his word. There's no conviction. There's no repentance. There's no really self-searching or self-examination. There's no affection towards God's grace or what he's done for them. And there's no concern for God's judgment. It's just kind of an indifferent, insensible love for sin has made this person's heart so dense and dry that it's become impenetrable by the word of God. It's like concrete. So what's interesting is that Jesus isn't in the midst of a bunch of atheists sharing this. He's sitting among followers and his 12 disciples. And so the thing that we have to think about is even if we're in church and even if we are religious, so to speak, this can be our heart. It can be like concrete that when the word of God finds us and, and we hear it in our ears, it goes into our heart and bounces off and we forget what it says by the time we get to the car. It's a heart, it's an impenetrable heart, and your, your question should be, well, Billy, what do I do if that's me? Like, I don't even remember what you preached about last week, much less trying to remember the word of God any time else. Only the Holy Spirit can root up the ground of a concrete heart. I can't tell you something to do, you can't do anything. You can't come to church enough, you can't read the Bible enough. This is why it's essential 
that you ask God to give you. I love Sarah's testimony a while ago when she got baptized. She said, I asked God to soften my heart before I heard the word of God. She don't even know that what she's saying in that probably as much, but that applied to this message as much as it did, but it's perfect. That's exactly how a heart of good soul responds. God, soften my heart to hear from your word. Listen, we're so distracted. We're so busy. We're so hard towards God. Things can just aggravate us to the point where we run from God. And listen, the devil loves it. He loves it. Listen, if the devil can do anything, the enemy in your life can do anything. He'll lie to you. And he'll do anything he can to harden your heart towards the word of God. He'll tell you lies. Why would God want you uh, to, 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 to not have sex outside of marriage? All your friends are doing it, and it's just going to be awesome, and it's going to be fun, and everybody else is doing it. Why would God want to control you and tell you not to do that? And he can make it sound good where you can justify it, right? And what happens is he slips those lies in. And if the the word of God is not received in the right way, then the goodness of the word of God is, is quickly snatched up by the enemy. And we don't believe it. We just go around and we listen to the lies. So how does the devil snatch the word from our hearts? He uses deceit. He uses lies. He confuses people through false teaching. You know, I've never seen a... A group of people like now with the, with the access we have to the different kinds of teaching all around the world that when you disagree with what the Bible has to say, it's so easy to just find a false teacher that will affirm you in your belief of that false teaching. So if you don't agree with the word of God here, then go here. And he'll teach you that it's okay, you can continue to do what you're doing even though the word of God says it. That's not what it means in the Greek. And what it happens is it affirms, but Jesus knew that, and he said, listen, that's exactly what the enemy's going to do, is he's going to confuse you with false teaching. The enemy exploits sinful human passions, the fear of what others think, pride, stubbornness, prejudice, lust, whatever it is that that floats your boat, Satan's going to bring it. It it, it never fails. Listen, when somebody gets saved or baptized, the first thing we tell them is, hey, I know you think life's going to be easy, but as soon as you walk out of this building and you soften your heart to God, there's an enemy and he's coming to try to snatch away every bit of hope, every bit of truth, every bit of life that God's just spoken into you. He's going to snatch it up. And for some of us, we don't even know that this is going on. So we hear a word and man, God kind of rubs it into our heart and we're like, yeah, that's exactly what I needed to hear, exactly where I needed to go and I'm ready to make some life changes. We go eat lunch, we take a nap, we wake up and we're, we, we don't think about God until the next time we sit in a Sunday service. Listen, that is the hardened heart that he's talking about. I want to read some examples of, of this and, and what I've seen. This is not anybody's specific story. This is kind of a hypothetical person from my experience in ministry. I want you to meet Paul. Paul grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor, so he found himself at church very often as a kid growing up. However, when Paul was a teenager, his father had an affair and walked out on his family. This devastated Paul and left him angry with no answers. At this point, Paul's hurt and anger began to build towards the church and Christianity. These thoughts consumed him. How could my dad, a pastor, a real Christian, do this? How could I ever follow a God that would do that to me? To this day, Paul's heart is hardened towards God's word and the message of the gospel because of the experience he had growing up. He will not go to church. He will not discuss Jesus without getting angry. His heart is hard. 
Many of us know people that way, and, and many of us wrestle with that in our own life. What happens is we base our opinion of who Jesus is off of imperfect followers of Christ. But the truth of the gospel is that when God reconciles you back to himself and you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to go to other believers to get God. You go directly to him. You get access to the Father. So why would we allow other people to shape our view of who God is when the God of the Bible can shape it if we'll get into his word? The second type of soul is the rocky soul. This is a person in verse 6 that Jesus says, Some fell on the rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. They had no roots. They couldn't get below the rock to get to the moisture in the ground. What does that mean, Jesus? Verse 13, his interpretation. He says, those, the seeds on the rocky ground, are the ones who receive the word with joy. But when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. You know, the great litmus test of true belief is what do you do in the midst of hard times? Because here's the thing, it's easy to believe the promises of God when things are going well. But when suffering in this life comes knocking on your door, do you still believe the promises of God then? It's easy to believe that God has a plan to prosper you. Jeremiah 29, 11, or God's working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Or Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through uh, Christ who strengthens me. All those verses that you find on your coffee cups. But then when you find out somebody close to you has family or something, an accident happened and, and this is here or hey, you, you, you want to have a baby, but you can't have a baby. When, when those things start coming, do the promises of God still cling true or do you just turn and walk away from God? As he explains the rocky soul, I want you to think about this is the someone who makes an emotional first-time decision. They get excited about church or a sermon or maybe even they get baptized. But as soon as the sun of persecution or hard times or temptation comes at them, they walk away because the word of God had no root. It was on the surface. It was a shallow faith. It was a fair-weather Christian. I want you to meet John. John grew up as a good old country boy. He loved to hunt. He loved to fish. Sometimes he loved to drink a cold beer and have a good time. John always knew he would settle down when the time was right, but that right time wasn't now. However, John met Jill and things changed. He began coming to church because it made her happy. Next thing he knew, they were engaged and sitting in a room with the preacher for premarital counseling. It was during this time that John began to realize that he needed to get his life right. So he did. He got saved, baptized, and he began to get involved in the church. However, about a year later, John's fire for God began to sputter. And times began to get tough for John. He had his first child who was sick all the time and was stressing his marriage out. And one of his best friends was killed in an accident. So instead of running to God, John began to run back to the comfort of his old ways. And gradually, John quit reading his Bible. He quit coming to church. And eventually, he walked away from God. His faith was shallow. His faith was based on others. His faith was not true because persecution, trials, hard times, 
They're the litmus test to whether we have true faith or whether we've not allowed the word of God to get down into our hearts. Number three is the thorns. I call this the divided hearer, the person who hears God's word, but they're divided between the world and God. Verse seven, Jesus says, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and it choked the plants. Verse 14, what does Jesus say? He says, the seed that fell among thorns It stands for those who hear the word of God. Again, remember, all of these seeds, all of these people are hearing the word of God. The issue is not hearing, it's what happens when we hear the word of God. The seed that fell among the thorns are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. You know, this is someone who wants the best of both worlds. The Bible calls them double-minded. They want Jesus, but they also want the world too. And this hinders them from fully surrendering their life to Christ because there's always that one thing that holds them back. The biggest evidence of this type of person is there's no fruit. It never matures. It never grows deeper. It kind of stays divided between the world. This person is too in love with this world. They're too obsessed with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. That's the key, the values of this temporary world, sinful pleasures, earthly ambitions, money, prestige, what other, other distraction the world brings. What they do is they deluge the heart and, and muffle the truth of God's word because we hear them through two ears. One is through the ear of what's it going to cost us, and the other ear is through the ear of, hey, I want to hear the word of God until it costs me something. And so God, again, is not concerned with the lens that we hear the word of God through, he wants to know where is our heart and are we applying God's word to him. I want you to meet Amy. Everyone loves Amy. She's fun to be around. She's the life of the party, but she never goes too far. That's the type of girl she is. Her parents raised her to do right, but she definitely knows how to flirt with that line. Amy is a bit of a chameleon. She gets along with everyone because she changes the way she acts based off of who she's around. If she's at church, she's the Amy, the church girl. If she's with her non-church friends, she's Amy, the cool girl that can fit in anywhere. Amy has convinced herself that she is right with God because she goes to church and does everything a Christian is supposed to do. However, her life is not fully surrendered to God. It is more convenient for her to put God in a box and only take him out when she wants to or when she's in trouble or when she needs something from him. Amy thinks she's getting the best of both worlds, but she doesn't realize that in God's eyes, anything less than absolute surrender is actually no surrender at all. And listen, as I read this, I know good and well every person in this room can relate to every one of these people because I can relate to every one of these people. And I think part of this is Jesus explaining true faith, but I also think a part of this is is Jesus letting us know as we try to grow in our relationship with God, these are the tendencies that we have that we can backslide into at times. Our hearts can become hard. Our hearts can become divided between the world and success. And our hearts can, can get to a place where literally when trial comes, we have it tough to believe in God's word. But that's when I believe Jesus introduces the good soul. So what is it that Jesus wants us to be? How do we be this? Before that, I want you to notice one thing that all the first three bad souls have in common. None of them mature 
and none of them produce lasting fruit. That's what they have in common, and that's the difference. Number four is the good soil. Listen to how Jesus explains it. He says, still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Verse 15, he explains and interprets it this way. He says, hey, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart, a heart that receives it, a heart that truly allows the word of God to be their authority. They hear the word of God, they retain it, and then by persevering, they produce a crop. This is someone who hears the word of God. They hear the gospel. They hear a sermon. They sit down with God in the morning and, and read through God's word. And not only do they just read it, but they retain it. It's something that gets in their heart and they think about it and meditate on it and they begin to try to apply it to their life. And then they persevere in it. They do what it says. Even when the going gets tough, they do what it says. And then eventually what happens is, as God promised, it bears fruit. This is the heart of maturity. This is the heart of growth. This is the heart of a true believer. This is the type of people that God wants us to be. He's describing someone with a heart so well prepared that when this person hears the gospel, they receive it with true understanding and genuine faith. The expression that Luke uses in in chapter 8 is that it suggests a tenacious hold on the truth and the perseverance in the faith. The mark of an authentic faith is endurance and fruit. That's what it looks like for us to grow in our relationship with God. And so our question should be, Billy, where does this heart come from? How do I have this heart of good soul? How do I get to a place where when the word of God is preached or when the word of God is read or it's, it's spoken over me or we sing it in a song, that it does something deep down in me that changes and produces fruit in my life? You do the same thing Sarah Kelly said you do. You pray and you ask God to soften your heart. You say, God, soften my heart. God, I want to know you. God, I want you to do a work in my heart through your word. God, show me who you are. God, I want to be good soul. Because here's the problem. None of us can be good soul on our own. It's impossible. Listen, we're far, far more messed up with sin than we like to admit. Any person in this room, including myself. But our God is far more gracious than we could ever imagine. He wants to help us. Listen, you don't have a God in heaven that sits down that's mad at you for your past. You have a God that's honestly looking at you right now for where you are and saying, come, let's do this together. Let me help you. Come. I bet you're heavy laden. I bet you're weary. Come, let me bring some rest. Let me show you what I want to do in your life. Remember what I said from the start. The problem with growth and maturity is never God's word. It's never God. It's always the human heart. It's always my heart. It's always your heart. So there's three things I want us to learn as we get ready to go this morning. Three things about maturity. Number one is this. I want you to write it down. If we want to grow and mature, we must be good soul. We must cultivate the heart that receives the word of God retains the word of God, hears the word of God, perseveres in the word of God. So the questions you have to ask behind that is, are you hearing the word of God? Listen, this is what our church exists to do. We want to partner with you in this. 
We've developed something that we call the 412 reading plan. Listen, and some of you guys are already on it, and you're like, why are we only reading a chapter a week? I could read a chapter a week. This is repetitive. Why are we doing this? Because we want you to retain what you're reading. We want you to let it soak in. We want you to let it become. Here's the thing I know. I've read the past three weeks, Galatians 1, 2, and 3 with the 412 reading plan, and I can tell you everything about Galatians 1, 2, and 3 because I've read it every day. But here's the thing. I was taught that I need to read through the Bible in a year. And listen, if you came to me right now and asked me what the purpose of the book of Haggai was, I couldn't tell you. And I've read it 25 times. Now you tell me, what's more effective? Me reading through the Bible in a year and not retaining anything? Or me reading something and actually retaining it and receiving it and God doing a work in my heart? Listen, if you're not reading in such a way that you can retain and persevere and it's doing a work in your heart, stop reading that way. And read the Bible to know God. Don't read it because somebody told you to do it. Read it because you want to know God. That's the only way to read the Bible. The second question we have to ask is, is are we retaining God's word? You know, we only retain what we truly hear. Are we, are we not just reading, but are we thinking about it? Are we meditating? Are we memorizing God's word? When, when, when life cuts us, does it actually, do we have it in our heart or do we have to have scripture in front of us to see it? Listen, nobody walks through life with a Bible in their hand at all times. So if we're not reading it in such a way that it's getting down into our heart, what happens when you face the trial at work? Do you know the word of God? Are you reading it in such a way that it's taking hold in your life? And then are you persevering in the word? What does it mean to persevere in the word? It means to do what it says no matter how you feel about it. No matter if you wake up one day and you don't feel like doing the word of God versus if you wake up and you feel like it. You do it because it's the word of God and it has authority over your life, not base it off how you feel. The biggest difference between a young Christian and a mature Christian is that. They don't base their life and what they do off of their feelings, which are fleeting. They base it off of the lordship of Christ and what they're doing because they know God loves them and God can see the big picture and he wants to lead them to life. Are you persevering in the word of God? That means when you read scriptures like 1 Corinthians 6 that say flee sexual immorality or you read scriptures like Matthew 28 that say therefore go and make disciples or you read 1 Timothy that tells you uh, to, to not, uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Are you just reading those or are you taking them in? Do you actually flee sexual immorality when you see something that could potentially drive you to sex outside of marriage, whether it be pornography or lust or an emotional relationship, affair, whatever it is, do you flee? Or do you entertain the feelings in your heart that are straight from the sin in you? What do you do when I tell you to go and make disciples and that that's God's purpose for your life and you walk out of here and I ask you, hey, have you ever made a disciple? And you say no. And then I ask you again six months later, hey, are you, are you a part of the mission of God? Are you investing your life into other people? And you raise your hand and say no. That's the opposite of doing what the word says. We can't, the word of God can't be optional in our lives. 
The second thing is that it's a spiritual battle to remain good soul. It's not only how do we become good soul, but it's how do we remain good soul. I mean, in, in the passage, we got to understand as we begin to try to walk and be good soul, we have an enemy that hates it. And listen, he's going to try to distract us. And he even points out he distracts us with worries and riches and pleasure. He's going to try to snatch the truth out of our heart and replace it with a lie that sounds good, that feels good. What is your relationship with the Word of God? Are you fighting to have the Word of God deep down in your heart? And then the third one is growth and maturity requires an honest assessment of our lives. This is where it always starts. Listen, if you don't know anything from our church, this is the truth that you'll remember. I'll say it until I'm no longer the pastor here. The prerequisite to God doing a work in your heart is honesty. You have to be honest about where you are. And here's the amazing fact. God already knows who you are and where you are. And he still loves you and he's still pressing into your heart. But there's some kind of shame in us that doesn't want to come clean and be exposed before God, even though we're already exposed before God. And that's the very thing that hinders us from growing in our relationship with God. So right where you are this morning, I just want you to bow your head. I don't know where this message hits you. I don't know how it's been working on me all week, as you can tell. But here's the thing I know. Even in this moment, as I preach about the Word of God and what it's doing in your life, There's distractions, there's insecurities, there's all kinds of things going in. But in this moment, let me tell you what God wants to do. I believe he wants to speak to the hearts of the people in this room. What type of soul are you? Are you one of the three bad ones? Or maybe your heart's hard because of something that happened. Is your faith shallow where you just kind of hear it, but then as soon as you walk out, you can't even remember what God was speaking to you? Or is your, is your heart good soul? Does the word of God find it? Does it dig in? That's God's requirement. That's what God wants this morning. He wants your heart to be good soul. And listen, all it takes is for you to say, God, my heart is not good soul. That's not where I'm at right now, but God, I need your help. I want you to help me, God. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Billy, I, man, I, I, don't even, I don't even know you could read the Bible and hear from God. And you'd say, today I want to trust in God. The same way these people got baptized and said they want to give their life to Christ, that's me. That's where I'm at. If that's you in this room this morning, I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you're at and say, Billy, that's me. Today's the day. Amen. Amen. So, Father, right now, Lord, I pray, God, I pray that you would make us a church, God, that hears your word, but doesn't just hear it, God, that we respond to it, we receive it, God, that the word of God would not be optional for us, God, that our relationship with you would not be based on feelings, but, God, it would be based on your word and what, what, what you want to do in our lives. So, God, I pray for each and every person in this room today, God, I pray that you would make us good soul, God, you'd raise us up to be a church that loves your word, God, that applies your word, that perseveres in it, and God, that produces good fruit. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for everything you're doing. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you all for being here, and we'll see you back next week.